Get ready. Are you ready, babe? <laughs> yes. I am ready. Um, <clears throat> back in January, I always ask the Lord for a word. And this year, the word was miraculous. And um, I was like, okay. So then I get real expectant, kind of like right before Christmas. And, you know, you just get real excited. That was kind of how um, things were. Well, in March, a few of the ladies and I went to a ladies' conference in Tulsa, and a few of us stayed over and went to a church Sunday morning. And um, it was a church I don't think any of us had ever been to, and they tagged a song. I could not tell you what song that they tagged, but this was the phrase that they tagged it with. You are faithful. You are, oh, sorry, I skipped. Uh, I am confident, we are evident, you are faithful, and you are God. And the more we sang, the louder the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I am, not that I was, but I am a miracle-working God. So um, last week when Victor spoke on miracles, I wanted to recap just a little bit and give some definition and so the first one he gave was, a miracle is a supernatural occurrence that fixes a need. And the second is, a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting a divine intervention in human affairs. And as he spoke those things, I thought, uh, if I can make it work, if I can manipulate the things around me to make it work, that's not a miracle. And so it's really kind of... Um, watching my heart, investigating my heart to know, it, am I manipulating something to make it look like a miracle, or is God doing something? And I am trusting that God is going to do the miraculous. And so um, <clears throat> in order to talk about this, um, I was reminded in Joshua when uh, they went to cross the Jordan, he said, stack stones and build a memorial so when your children ask, you can tell them of the goodness of God. And sometimes we don't believe that miracles happen today. And part of it is because we don't uh, stop long enough to acknowledge that miracles are happening. Or uh, in our uh, information age with the Internet, we can figure it all out and we just can over-explain the miraculous. And so I choose to believe that God still does miracles today. And so because of that, I want to share my story. And um, to do that, I have to go back. Some of you uh, lived with us during this time, and um, others have not. So I just kind of wanted to share what the Lord has done in my life. And um, then we've got several um, stories that we want to, testimonies that we want to share. Um, <clears throat> mine started when I was a late teen. And I started getting electrical shocks, kind of like years ago when you would get a uh, foiled gum wrapper and you would accidentally get some of it in with the gum and it would give you that little shock with your dental work. And um, I don't know if any of you have experienced that, but it's not fun. But what I was experiencing was thousands time worse than that. Like it was crippling. It was so strong. And... Um, it would come and go, and I just thought, okay, something weird, or I've pinched a nerve, and so I would readjust or turn over in bed just to try to ease the pain. And so there was no rhyme or reason when it would come or when it would 
come back or anything like that. And so I never put it together. Then um, I was in my 40s, and it started coming very quickly. And it wasn't just, um, it's not like a headache. It's a, that shock, and it's literally an electrical shock. Your nerves um, are kind of like your electric system, and it, it was shocking. And um, then it would come more often, and then there was a stabbing pain, and it would feel like an ice pick going through my uh, bone above my eye and coming out my nose, and it was so excruciating. And um, I, I remember one night I laid down in bed and just started screaming, and Victor just turned over and didn't know what to do and started praying over me. And um, it was at that point we were like, we need to find out what's going on here. So I went to the doctor, and um, he diagnosed me with TN, which is trigeminal neuralgia. And you have three strands of nerves in your face, and uh, that's your trigeminal nerve. And um, it's when it's short-circuiting, basically. And mine was mainly... my middle and lower. So, you know, early on, I thought it was dental, and so I had lots of dental work done, and, and um, so anyway, we were, I was diagnosed with that, and if you look it up, it can be kind of scary, because it's also called the suicide syndrome, and because it's nerve pain, there's no medications that they give you that will cure it or actually relieve the pain. It's nerve pain, and so I was prescribed a um, nerve uh, depressant, so it did make it bearable, but it was still there, and um, I went, you know, I, I would not eat, I wouldn't sleep, it was hard to brush my teeth, I couldn't go outside because the wind, just the slightest breeze would just uh, put me in this horrible triggered pain, and so I was just kind of a prisoner, and um, after not sleeping for a long time, I had gone in to see the doctor, and I said, I can understand how people get to that point. And I think it scared him because he put his hands on my shoulders, and he said, we're getting you help. And I said, I'm not there. I'm not thinking that way. But when you don't sleep, your, br your brain doesn't function the way it needs to function. So I can see where people get to that point. And so... Um, they were referring me to a neurologist, and they tried for weeks to get me an appointment. She finally called and said, Susan, you start calling every day, every day, and they will get you in. And so I did. I was every day at a certain time. I would call and, you know, try to get an appointment. And I even told her, I don't care if it's three years out, just if I have a date, that's something to work for, and then I can, I can deal with it. I can make it work. And she said, I can't. She said, there's nothing. So Victor comes in, and I am crying because I'm in so much pain. And at this point, I just really feel hopeless. And um, so he said, Susan, we've traveled our entire lives. Find the best, and we will go there. So I started doing some research, and we had friends doing some research, and we found a doctor at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. So, you know, I get online, find the number, and I call, and no one answered. And then I am devastated. I'm like, this is it. There's, there's nothing. Nobody cares. Nobody, you know. And um, so I'm reading this doctor's bio, 
and he really is the best in the nation. He's the best at this particular uh, nerve. And as I'm looking, there's an email address under his name. And I thought, just maybe. And um, so as I was thinking about that this week, it reminded me of a message that Victor spoke years ago about Jonathan and his armor bear. And I won't read the whole thing because of time today, but it's in 1 Samuel. Um, lost my spot here. 1 Samuel 1 through 14, 1 through 14. But the verse that I want to focus on is verse 6. Come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. And he said, just maybe the Lord will work for us. And so I can have just maybe faith. So just maybe I can email this doctor and, and get some sort of a response. So this was a Friday about um, noonish, and I just was like, okay, here's my just maybe. So I started an email and just kind of explained my dilemma of, you know, everything that I had experienced up to this point, and then um, the fact that I couldn't get into a neurologist. And to my surprise, I got an email back that afternoon. And we emailed back and forth the rest of the day on Friday and throughout the day on Saturday. And he said, call my office on Monday and we will set you up an appointment. So I called on Monday and uh, his receptionist just immediately started talking about, um, okay, so we'll get you in this date. We'll go ahead and schedule OR. And I was like, whoa, mm -mm. he's not even seen me. We're not doing that. And she said, well, let me double check. And you could tell she was reading through all of his notes when we were speaking. But she called me right back and she said, you guys live so far away that we're going to schedule the OR. And then if we need it, we'll use it. But if not, someone else can have that slot. And so I was okay with that. So um, she made the appointment and it was for three weeks out. And um, I didn't know the significance of that at the time, but Victor and I drove because I wasn't sure flying was going to be good for me. So we drove out to Baltimore and met with him and ran a billion tests. And um, if Johns Hopkins is a huge hospital, so got lo lots of exercise running up and down and back and forth. And so anyway, through the testing, they found that I had a nerve laying, I mean, sorry, a blood vessel laying on the nerve, and that's what was shorting out. And so um, he said, I can fix that. So they went in and um, put glycerin around the nerve and rerouted the, or moved the blood vessel so that it wasn't laying on it anymore. And... Um, so the day after my surgery, the nurse comes in, the ICU nurse comes in, and she said, um, so when did you first meet the doctor? And I said, day before yesterday. She said, no, 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 you don't understand. And I said, no, 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 really. Thursday was when I met with him, and she just thought, okay, she's on meds. She doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> but I just kept on, and she said, you don't understand. She said, from the time you call to the time you're sitting here is a three-year process. And I am three weeks in. And I said, 
but God. Because he knew that I couldn't handle three years of that. And so um, I just uh, was so, so happy that um, that was going on. And 10 years, no pain. And um, it's kind of funny how the Lord uses things because in that 10 years, there's probably been seven to 10 people that have had this. And it's a pretty rare disease, but um, seven to 10 people have contacted me and we've been able to walk together through it. But um, I don't know if you know, but Victor and I have started sailing. We have a sailboat and about, I don't know, three weeks ago, we get this sailboat, we decided, you know, we're going to do this. Well, um, we went this last week, and, well, we first went to the Queen, and it's a small lake, and we had it. We're professionals now, so we're going to go to Washita. So this week, Tuesday, we go to Washita, and it's beautiful. It's the perfect amount of wind. And um, so then Wednesday we wake up. We slap on, on the boat at an island, and so we wake up, and it's cloudy, and the clouds are moving like crazy, and we're like, okay, we can do this, and um, it was rough. It felt like we were in the ocean, and it got really scary because we would be doing fine, and then the wind would shift, and the boat would be on its side, and I prayed a whole lot. I told Vic, I understand the disciples who woke Jesus up and said, how can you be sleeping? Um, But what we've learned is, number one, we've learned patience in that because you just have to be patient and follow the wind and and, uh, do that. But we've also learned that um, the wind can move and shift very quickly. And that can be scary and... um, It can be very alarming at times, but when we do those adjustments to the sails, it moves us forward, and we can get to our chosen destination. So in May of this year, I woke up, I think it was the first weekend, and I woke up, and I started having some electrical shocks again, and I was driven with fear because I knew what it was before. And I didn't tell Victor for a little bit. I really tried to, I'm sure it's just, maybe my nerves are rejuvenating and it's just going to be fine. So um, I waited three or four days and it didn't get any better. It kept getting worse. And so I told Vic and he immediately said, call the surgeon. So we did. We called the surgeon and just kind of talked through. And, and, but the biggie was for the month of May, I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. I barely talked. I, it was hard to brush my teeth. I pulled back from everything. Um, people in our circle know we didn't meet very much. We just, and I really pulled back. And part of it was the fear. And then just a deep depression of here we go again. And then um, one day I was just really, I knew the Lord had laid these miracles on my heart. And so then I was questioning, Lord, how can this be happening when you've done the miraculous? And I, I know it's him because he wants people to know that we can trust him. We can trust him even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of um, 
what we don't understand, he is trustworthy. And um, so I literally readjusted my sail, turned my focus on him and not the issue. And even though today, every now and then, I still get the little twinge of uh, shock, to me right now, it's just kind of reminding me that my focus needs to be on him and not that. And so um, I'm doing the things that I know to do, and then I'm leaving my miracle up to him because I know he's going to do it. And so um, I just want to kind of go over again some of the things that Victor talked about last week in Jesus meets you right where you are. So even in May, he met me exactly where I was. He picked me up, he dusted me off, and he said, let's readjust and go to your chosen destination. And then I had to decide, is it my faith in my faith or is my faith in Jesus? And I choose Jesus every time I want to choose Jesus. And um, that's where I'm going to put my trust. I will trust Jesus. I will trust Jesus. I will trust Jesus. Sometimes you just have to scream it because the junk and the doubt is all right here, and you just have to just keep pushing forward. And so I will trust Jesus. Um, so today, we are going to stack stones we want to stack stones so that when our children ask, we can tell them of the goodness of God. So um, I love that uh, as I was thinking of that, this is what the Lord said. He says, stack st stones so that when your children ask, you can tell them about that our God is faithful, that our God is able. He can do more than we can ask or think. He is the miracle worker, and he desires for us to trust him. So um, I just want to uh, let y'all check these videos out, and we will go from there. So I'm a coordinator of a state grant and we have subcontracts with um, three other sites across the state. We do a youth development program and we've had this for about 12 years and um, it came time for our contract to come around for this year, did all the contract signing and all of that and then come around the beginning of September, I got notified that somehow through a uh, mishap they had not gotten on the legislative review calendar which is a requirement for any uh, grant contracts to go through and that there wasn't anything that they could do about it and that it might be December or January before funding would become available which meant that about 21 people would lose their jobs um, for, between these sites so we we set up a, I set up a conference call with my subcontract sites and um, all three of these ladies that lead their organizations are um, Christian ladies and we uh, talked about what the situation was. We didn't want to freak anybody out by telling them that, you know, in a couple weeks that we might have to have layoffs and all of this. and. Um, we decided to sit on the phone and pray. <laughs> so the four of us ladies on the phone, we actually um, prayed and 
then the next thing to do was just wait. The day of Flourish, I had received a, a phone call from Senator Dotson, who is a senator up in Northwest Arkansas, and he asked me, did I receive a call from the Department of Health yet? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, well, you should. And it should be any minute. If you haven't heard by Monday, um, let me know. Right before I walked out the door to come to Flourish, the phone rang and it was the director of the um, department that we're under with the Department of Health, uh, Christy. And she said, uh, I just want you to know that everything has been taken care of and we want you to move forward uh, starting October 1st, just like normal. Um, no hiccups, no glitches, and everything is going to move forward just fine. Nobody went without a paycheck. <laughs> and uh, first thing I did was contact our subcontract sites and I told them what happened and the first thing they said was, praise God. Um, we knew that that was, that was the only reason that it had come across the way it did. And without God, we would probably still not have funding available right now. I think miracles happen a lot more often in our lives than uh, we give God credit for. A lot of times we tend to depend on all of the things around us and not recognize that uh, it was God that, uh, that fixed everything and caused this miracle. Um, give credit to other things and I would say just have faith and know that God is always in control. Okay, so the one situation was um, my wife and I, of course, lived in Florida, and I had got into some bad things. I wasn't a believer at the time, and uh, we ended up moving here. She moved here, first of all. I moved back to Texas with my mom, and I thought everything was going to just kind of go away, but, of course, things like that don't go away. Moved back here, got settled. I got saved. That was a big thing. I came to the church, and... Um, just they accepted me with loving arms all right so that was the first big miracle and then after that I uh, tried to get my driver's license and just things started going south I had to end up going back to jail in Florida okay the miracle that actually happened is I was facing facing the 10 years in prison um, that would have meant probably me losing my family my girls would have aged 10 years without their father in their life and we all know that you know, daughters need their fathers. Any kids need their father, but especially little girls. So I would have lost valiant year, valuable years with them. Anyway, God granted that miracle just by praying and the community praying, um, granted me just probation, and I was able to come back home. And the coolest part of it was my, Micah come to pick me up from Little Rock, and we never told the girls anything. So when I got to walk in my front door after three months away, and them not really knowing what was going on. Just, I got to walk in to just smiles and I started tearing up and I started crying. So man, to me, that is a big, big miracle that God did in my life. Man, I would say just never cease praying. It's actually a scripture. Uh, never cease praying. In all things, 
Just always pray. Always look to God. Never look to man for answers. Never look to anything else for answers but God. And God will always come through. It's not in your timing. It's going to be in His timing. So don't get discouraged whenever uh, things aren't happening the way you want them to. God's always going to come through for you. Just never cease praying. And you're going, you're going to be all right. I love hearing stories of God's faithfulness. Amen. My name's Jennifer. My husband, Jared, we have four children, and all four of them are grown and gone. They're all married now. It's kind of weird, uh, kind of fun, you know? Um, but I want to tell you a little bit of our story uh, with our son, Job, our second son. Jesus, in Scripture, used stories to um, teach us things about himself, teach us things about um, who he is and what he does. And, and he told the story of a, a woman who had lost a coin. And she cleaned her house and swept and moved all the furniture and didn't stop until she found that lost coin. And then he told about a, a shepherd who had lost a sheep and how he had uh, left the 99 in the pen to go in search of the one that was lost. And then he, he told about a lost son. And about how the father waited every day for the return of his lost son. And see, in those stories, Jesus, he is the woman who is looking for the coin and doesn't give up until he finds it. And he is the shepherd who goes out after that one lost sheep. And he is the father who waits for his son to come home. And so Jared and I, Job was, uh, he, uh, as a baby Job and as a young boy, he was just the most um, affectionate boy, loving boy, always free with expressing uh, his love of, of anything and Offering hugs and kisses. And of course, as he becomes a young teenager, that fades a little because, you know, you got to be cool. But then he kind of started down uh, a road in high school and started making some decisions that um, weren't the best decisions. And uh, we did our best to uh, get him back on track like parents do. But he just continued down this road. He, he went to Arkansas Tech, had a good first year in college, and then uh, ended up quitting co college his second year and just kind of working at, at jobs to get by and sleeping on friends' couches and just continuing to make decisions that weren't the best decisions, going down a road that we were really sad to see him go down. <clears throat> And it was hard. And I would like to, to stand here and tell you that um, I faithfully prayed for him every day. But that wouldn't be completely true. I prayed in fits and spurts. <laughs> I would get angry and I wouldn't pray. And then I would get angry and I would pray. But I'm so thankful for Jared who uh, he prays for his family every day. He prays for his family without fail. 
And uh, the Lord is faithful no matter what, but I'm just so grateful that Jared and I were able to walk through this together. And I was on a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> I was up one day because uh, he called me. I didn't have to call him. But then I would say, I love you, and he would just hang up, and then I'll be back down in the... And I lived that way up and down, and every little uh, thing that would happen, I would either be uh, feeling hopeful and excited or feeling dejected. And it was hard, and that was not the best way to live. And, of course, it was hard between Jared and I. And, um, and I remember one time I was driving, and I was... Uh, Praying, but also complaining and kind of letting God have it a little bit and just wondering. And, and this is one of the few times that I really know my father's voice. He spoke to me in that car and he said, he interrupted me and he said, Jennifer, do you trust me? And I said, yes, I do. But And he just cut me off and said, do you trust me? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, I have got this. I am at work in Job's life. He's mine. And I'm taking care of things. And he went on to say, you're not going to be around when this happens in his life. And that was hard for me to hear. Because at first I didn't really know for sure what it meant. But, but I, I began to understand that what he was trying to help me see is that this was impossible for me to fix. See, I, I like to fix things. And can I just tell you that if you just let me and listen and do what I tell you to, I can make things right. But the Lord is saying, this is beyond you, Jennifer. But what a great place to be. Because his promise was, I am at work. Job is mine. I am at work, and I have got this. And so that kind of began for me a journey. You know, I would never have chosen this experience. Nobody wants to watch their kids making bad decisions. But this, God used this situation to begin a journey for me of realizing how much my Father loves me. And can I tell you that that has been life-changing for me? Because in recognizing how much Jesus loves me and how much He has pursued me, then that has made me able to understand that, you know what, I don't have to worry I really can do what the scripture says and not worry about anything, but instead pray about everything, telling God what I need and thanking him for what he's already done. I can do that because he has shown his love for me and I know that he loves my son. And so I begin to memorize scripture and we begin to pray scripture and uh, God used the, the verse, uh, I will fight this battle for you. You just need to be be quiet. <laughs> and, and that was something that I had to tell myself. Jennifer, be quiet. 
just be quiet. The Lord is at work here. And he helped me to, uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 8, became something that I stood on and I still do. And right before in in verse uh, 5, it says, The Lord is near. And he is with you, whatever you're walking through. And then when we pray, his peace comes, peace that doesn't even make sense. But the part that God really worked into me was verse 8. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Because, see, I, I can think up all kinds of things in here. And Jesus was saying to me, no, you fix your thoughts on what is good and right. You trust me. And the Lord, in his faithfulness, 2020 came. Job change for for Job. They ended up moving to Searcy. They live about 20 or 25 minutes from my parents. And I'm pretty sure that my mom bribed them with food, but that's wonderful. She said, if you'll come to church, I'll feed you lunch. And Job and Carrie and back then their baby girl began going to church with mom and dad. And in that time, God has gotten a hold of Job and Carrie. And they, they are different people. <laughs> and can I tell you that now every time I come into the presence of my son, it's like that young boy, he just hugs me, loves me. God has just been so good to restore, to restore what the enemy had taken. Amen. And I want to testify of God's goodness and give him glory because he deserves it, because he's the one who has done it and is doing it. And I also just want to tell you that if you're in the room and you have a lost thing, a lost loved one. I know that these moments can be hard because because it's hard to find hope when it feels like once again you hear a story of how God has done it over here, but it doesn't seem like he's doing it for you. But can I just encourage you? Don't give up. Don't give up. If you are believing for a lost son or daughter or parent or sister or friend, you, I can clearly say, you, your job is to pray for them and to love them. And then pray for them and love them. And while you're loving them, pray for them. And while you're praying for them, love them. Yes, I'm being obnoxious about it. But do you see that that is all we're called to do? I'm not called to fix the decisions that my son was making. I'm not called to set them right and get them changing how they're living. I'm called to love and I'm called to pray. The same God who has done these miracles that we are testifying about today, he is so aware of your need, and he is at work on your behalf. Check out Matt's story. Uh, I want to ask, you know, what was the situation that led 
to you needing a miracle. And uh, you, you've told me this story before, and I think it starts kind of outside of a gas station. So tell us, uh, tell us how you got to the place where you're like, I need a miracle. <laughs> well, you know, I was um, on drugs and alcohol for 25 years. You know, I, you know, in and out of jail and prison since I was living a crazy life, you know, but I was at the, that 7-Eleven, you know, and I, I was trying to panhandle to get a beer. You know, I was trying to get rid of the shakes from the drugs. But I ended up tripping on a curb and I hit my face and it was bleeding and everything. You know, that was when I got to the, you know, I got to my knees. I, I started to pray and I said, Lord, I'm, I'm done. I give up, you know, and then that's when I, I looked up and there was a flash of light. What it was really was the next day. But somebody I didn't know picked me up in that park. To a recovery home in Santa Rosa, California, there, and they took me out and they drove away. And I was the sign I was looking for, that was it. I've tried to change a lot of times in my life. I've been through lots of rehabs and a lot of institutions and jails, and I've been had so many times to change, but I've come to the I can't. Maybe I wasn't able to, you know? So that I just wanted to get sober long enough to uh, I can make it to heaven, maybe, you know, or make it to where people are gonna, you know, think bad about me, you know, they know I tried. Yeah. So uh, you know, my liver was really bad. My skin was yellow and I was a cirrhosis. I didn't have much to live anyway. So the doctor's like a year to live whatever. So I decided I just wear a suit and tie every night before I go to bed. And I would go in and be praying like crazy. Just to, you know, be able to in my to die in my sleep. Because I knew I can never change. I did not have the willpower and strength to ever change. Yeah. So I would beg, plead the Lord, please take me to heaven. You know, and every morning I'd wake up and I'd be so upset <laughs> that I had another day I had to cry. But then when I went to the doctors, try to work the program out to fix get my liver, see how much they could stretch the time out a little bit or whatever. But then they told me that my liver, it healed itself. Blood stabbing was, and what it should have took 40 years or something, it did in four months. And he, he really, I felt the embrace of this is love for me. Something I've never felt in my life. And then that's when, Things changed. It really began to change the turning point in my life. Sometimes you have to be in a certain position, really, that where you get the turning point in your life. So maybe when somebody feels they're at the end of their rope, or they're at the end of where, you know, they can't take it no more, right then is what God is kind of waiting for you to get to, to where you can trust in Him. You can let it all go. That's my little daughter, you know, when she's running up at me, when she's hurt or whatever, you know, there's no second thought. There's no, you know, she throws her arms up and just falls into me, you know. So if they're at the end of the rope, that's probably where you need to be.
I've got to spend the last year with Matt working with him every day. And the reason that he is, uh, that video was FaceTimed is that God opened an opportunity and he is right now in California restoring the relationship with his other kids. And that, God healed him, set him free, <laughs> and then give him back what the enemy has stolen. Y'all hang with me. You, you, you're not going to want to miss this next story. Some of the most powerful miracles happen when death loses its grip and life is redeemed. This is a story where death had a plan, where the medical staff was certain that either death or serious lifelong medical complications were all but a guarantee. But God also had a plan, and we have only begun to see the impact that this little guy is going to make on our world. This is Noble's story. Uh, we found out we were pregnant, didn't really know anything uh, uh, about what we were doing, and about halfway through the pregnancy, we got led to do a home birth, and, um, and we just, uh, we met with this, these two midwives, and they really just kind of reassured us, and I think the big moment for me was that uh, my mother-in-law was here, and she said, what's the moment where you're like, okay, we need to go to the hospital? Like, what's the, what's the sign? And the first thing they said was, well, we always trust the Holy Spirit. So um, that was like, a, okay, these are the kind of people I want to be surrounded by when we're having our baby. At midnight, my contractions finally started, and they were progressing uh, greatly. And by, I'll just say like six o'clock, they were going from like two minutes, three minutes, they were going the other route than you, than you want. And by eight o'clock or nine o'clock, my contractions had completely ended. I remember just being overwhelmed, like I'm about to meet my son, this is like, it's happening. And uh, we were in the pool for, uh, I don't know, about 30 to 45 minutes and, um, our midwife, I think she was just getting like really bad feelings. Uh, we, 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 now we know the Holy Spirit was like prompting her um, because she, she was just like, ah, something's not right. You'll need to get out. So we got out of the pool, checked her again, still not progressing, not the way that she, that she felt like she should be progressing. And I said, I needed a moment. And um, I pretty much started crying because this was not my plan. But that's just to remember that God always has a plan. What's cool is actually before we even got to the hospital, all the nurses exactly knew what was going on. They knew my water broke, which means I needed to be on antibiotics. They, so as soon as we got there, we didn't have to tell them anything. Like Dr. Mesco already called and they were prepared for me. And what was also cool is I was the only person, only uh, mama in there having a baby. So she starts, uh, she starts pushing and um, like he was not coming out. Uh, he was doing what's called turtling. It means his head's kind of halfway coming out and then he's like sucking back up too far. Um, there's a little bit of that that's normal, but he was doing more than what they wanted. Uh, the next step is called an episiotomy. Um, it's, a, it's an incision. If you don't know what it is, you can look it up. But basically it's to help the, help the baby get out. Uh, and then his head comes out. And it was like, I just remember like 
<sighs> it's over. Because, like, there's one more, they say, oh, one more push, his shoulders will come out, and then he's out, and then it's fine, right? And so, when his head comes out, it's just like, whew, done. And, you know, this is like a, this is like a battle, and, uh, and it's, in the battle's over. And, uh, little did we know, the battle was really just beginning. I shouldn't be alive My future was six feet under One foot in the grave No hope to be saved I shouldn't be alive What happened is when his head come out, the way his head was, how it came out was tilted, and that means he had a shoulder dystocia, which is not totally uncommon. Um, and so, which just means there's, his shoulders are way stuck up in my pelvis. The goal is to get them out in less than a minute. And um, I remember the room changed. There, people were getting on top of my bed to get on my belly to push him out. What ended up happening is they cut me again so Dr. Mesco could fit his hands on him to help tilt, rotate him to get him to come out. Yeah. And um, what we realized was, uh, Afterwards, we it was over six to eight minutes of him being stuck without oxygen, um, which is crazy because that means he's at like a level, like the worst level of a shoulder stoja, which means um, he is going to be born dead. He's going to be born with a brain uh, damage. He's going to be born with a brachial plexus injury, uh, seizures, or needing to be resuscitated. Yeah. yeah, and so that means there was no positive outcome in the doctor world. So she had 80 stitches, um, at least, it was at least 80 stitches, and she was hemorrhaging, and, and your kid comes out and he's gray and not breathing, you know, like you have this, um, you have this idea in your head of what's going to happen. Uh, and none of, none of that's what happened. They took him, uh, he wasn't crying or anything, and I just remember telling Kyle to pray over him, and you were like, I'm trying, and I was like, I was like, you have to pray over him, and in that moment, I instantly got peace. I just had to like hit my knees. I, just, I didn't have to, I, I couldn't stand, <clears throat> and, and I'm just saying, Jesus, please, over and over again, until I heard him cry. Turns a dead end story to a living, breathing, testimony. He got to come back to me in three hours. Yeah. And we left the hospital in 36 hours. We talked to Mesco after, afterwards, and he really just did not expect him to have full function in his arm. He didn't expect him to have full function of his brain. He didn't have, <laughs> did not expect Noble to be normal at all. Telling people, this is the hardest thing I've ever been through, and nothing comes close. But I wouldn't change it for anything because, in that moment, we saw Jesus. Like we really saw Jesus. So there's nothing like your, you know, your husband praying over in front of everybody, and then everybody in that room got to watch literally the miracle happen right there because your son came back to life. Mm. Because people were praying in that room.
He doesn't even know it, but his little miracle is affecting people's lives already. That everybody in the room got to see my son come back to life. And the God I know that knows the number of hairs on your head, cares about the smashed finger and the mountain that seems impossible. Here's what we're going to do. Please don't run away. We're going to drop the lights. I have friends that are going to be up here at the front. We may need more help.